Good morning. We're continuing our study in the book of Nehemiah. We are in chapter 2. We're going to be beginning with verse 9. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horrorite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up to uh, in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone and what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that by, had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for good, the good work. And when Sambalat the Horrorite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Gisham the Arab heard of it, They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let's always remember that the power resides in God's word. And you may be seated. So what kind of difficult task are you facing? The consequences of that task may have tremendous positive consequences. Yet, it will cost you time, it will cost you energy, and it may even cost you some relationships. What kind of personal challenges? What we can learn from the book of Nehemiah is how to engage in facing challenges. Whether they are corporate issues such as a church or a small group or individuals 
as you may know, Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the most powerful human ruler in the world at that time. He was living in Persia. He had asked some of the Jewish people who had returned from Jerusalem, what was the state of the people? And the answer was grim. Nehemiah was very sorrowful when he heard about the broken down walls and the gates that had been destroyed by fire. The people were in disgrace. And to some degree, he was concerned about their complacency or their feelings of helplessness. Nehemiah said back in chapter 1, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. His heart was broken. He fasted. He prayed. He spent four months seeking God's direction until it was time to finally step up and to do something about it. I asked the question last week, do we substitute prayer for doing what God has told us to do? He had prayed, and now he comes to the king, and he asks permission to go to his homeland where the graves of his fathers are in ruin, so to speak. And the king gave him permission to rebuild the walls. He gave him protection with officers from the army and even horsemen. He gave him letters of provision to accomplish the job. And Nehemiah gave glory to God. One of the most important aspects of Nehemiah is to encourage us, whether in our individual lives, whether it's our families, whether it's in whatever relationships that you have or us as a church, is to remember this, the same God who led Nehemiah and the people to rebuild the walls and to reclaim his glory, it is that same God to whom we pray and we depend upon our very lives. You see, he's in the build he's in the rebuilding business. He rebuilds that which has been torn down. He rebuilds faith. He rebuilds broken lives, whether our lives are broken because of what others have done to us or because of the decisions that we have made. Even financial circumstances that some of us are in. He's there to restore. These are just a few areas that we can apply. So the question is, what do you need God to rebuild in your life? Did you know that the journey from Persia to Jerusalem was going to take right around four months? With all the hardships? Nehemiah needed a nap. Someone has said that he suffered from camel lag. Before Nehemiah did this, Ezra also had gone. And we read in chapter 8 of Ezra, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from the ambushes by the way. And we came to Jerusalem, and we remained 
three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed. In other words, what Ezra is saying is, I was tired and I needed three days to rest my mind and to rest my body. And this is what happened to Nehemiah as well. On the fourth evening, Nehemiah got up in the dark with a few trusted men to inspect the walls and the gates, and he was overwhelmed. He knew that he needed first-hand knowledge of what he was about to do. In verse 12, we read, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. You see, his enemies that he had already met could disrupt the mission. So he only took a few trusted people with him. He could not risk an interruption or distraction or having the wrong people to be involved in the process. One of the things that I really love about Amelia Baptist is that we desire to not only have fellowship with one another, <clears throat> but in, we like to work together. That is very unusual in some churches. But we get to experience what the Scripture says should be true. And that is that we carry the load of one another. We encourage one another. You know, sometimes it's after the fact of a challenge that you have gone through that I even find out about it. I used to think, well, don't you like me anymore? But here's what I have found out and what I appreciate about this congregation Somebody else in the congregation that you're close to and that we have encouraged you to build these type of relationships, they come alongside of you and they do the things that need to be done. That is a blessing, not because I don't want to be there, but because I can't be everywhere. What a wonderful place to be. But you know, there are some journeys and places that we have to travel alone. Even though we have people who encourage us. The night stands for more than just not letting the enemies know what Nehemiah was doing. Listen to what the psalmist says in 134. Oh, praise the Lord, all the saints of the Lord, you who serve at night in the house of the Lord. Nighttime can be a dreary, sleepy time. And what the psalmist is encouraging those who work in the temple at night is, praise the Lord that you get to do this. While other people are asleep, our night watch doesn't have to be a hardship. It can be a blessing. We separate ourselves from the noise you know, God calls at night sometimes. And in the stillness of the night, when no one else is calling, we can hear his call. And during those times alone, his voice is clearer 
on what he's asking of us. I'm not one to want to get up any earlier than necessary. But sometimes he just calls. And when he calls, it's time because it's necessary. Jesus experienced those lonely times in the evenings. He needed to be refreshed. He needed to get in touch with the will of his Father. He needed to get away from the noise. And he beckons us to do the same thing. And during that nighttime of assessments, when he could see what needed to be done, he just saw how demanding it was. The circuit of the walls was over a mile long. They needed to be three to four feet thick. They needed to be 15 to 20 feet high. And I just want to remind you that just because something is difficult to do doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to do it. In fact, I think he delights in calling us to do things that with men it's impossible. But with him, it is possible. He also noticed that it was going to be hazardous. The enemies were lurking around. He said that there was a... He just couldn't let careless information to be given to those around him. Now I want to take a few moments to talk about those enemies. We at Amelia Baptist Church are not enemies. How many people do you now know that no longer go to church because of the fights that they have seen in other churches? And people treat each other in those terrible times as if that other person that's been worshiping in the same church is their enemy because they disagree over the color of the carpet. We are the body of Christ here, and God leads His congregation to accomplish what He plans through the years. We have prayed together. We seek God's wisdom together and His leadership in order for Him to fulfill our call as a congregation. I know this congregation... And there are no sand ballots or Tobias or Geshems among us. Besides, when it comes to the kingdom work, we don't fight against flesh and blood anyway. The real battlefield is on our knees. Where the spiritual warfare takes place. It is here that we can see God move in ways that we could not imagine or have manipulated. He also saw by his inspection that it was going to be a cooperative effort. You see, he was not only assessing the walls, he was assessing the people as well. You see, at some point, he needed to get the people together. And in chapter, in verse 17, 
he called a large group together who lived in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know how he knew who he should call, but he was making assessments who would be the right leaders to hear God's call. And once he gathered these people, he said to them, Do you see the trouble we are in? Now remember, Nehemiah has been in Persia nearly all of his life. He hasn't lived in Jerusalem, but his heart's in Jerusalem. Notice he didn't say, do you notice the trouble you're in? It's very important that we identify with one another. Because as Paul puts it in Corinthians, when one part of the body suffer, we all suffer. They're in trouble, not simply because the walls and the gates have been destroyed, but because of the spiritual condition of the people. Now, this may seem foreign to us, but in the ancient world, all the different kingdoms had their own gods. And whoever had the best crops had the best god. Whoever had the best army had the best god. Whoever was at the top of the food chain, well, it's because of their god. And Israel spent a lot of time under other people's empires. And those other people thought that their gods were mightier than the God of Israel. You see, Nehemiah didn't come to simply build walls. He came to reclaim the name of Almighty God among his own people. And for the others to see that as well. We should always recognize that there are spiritual issues. Building projects is not simply about brick and mortar. I've been so grateful through the years. And I've been reminded often, Neil, let the people take care of the stuff and you take care of the people. Because the church is not the stuff. You are the church. And it's important that we're spiritually healthy. And healthy in our relationships with each other. Nehemiah, nor the people, wanted to see the people of God disgraced. He was going to ask a lot of the people... But he wasn't afraid to ask. Why? Because once God gives direction, God works in the hearts of the people. Sacrifices may be huge. They're going to have to take time off from work to build their walls. Who's going to protect their family? Well, later on in Nehemiah, we figure out how they both build a wall and protect their families. They needed to know that it was going to be a cost. And isn't that very similar to what Jesus has told us in our own personal faith? How many of us have seen and heard over and over again this easy believism where it costs you nothing to say the prayer? And yet Jesus tells us over and over again, 
Unless you are willing to do without this, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you're willing to bear the cross, you cannot be my disciple. How many of us would look at someone who was uh, building and then they weren't able to finish because they didn't count the cost? Nehemiah assessed the issue so that he knew what it would cost. And then he related that to the people to know that it's going to cost us. Do you know there's a cost being in harmony with each other? That means I don't get my way. That means we stay on our knees and pray together until God gives us the answer. That isn't necessarily the way that God did it in the Old Testament. But once the Holy Spirit came into believers at Pentecost, He created something new that had never been seen before. So we don't rely on each other. We rely on Him, and now He works through us. He began to remind them how God had worked while He was in Persia, how He went before the king. The king didn't kill Him. The king said yes. That was a miracle. Not only did He say yes to you can go, but yes... I will give you protection. And yes, I will give you provisions. They had the king's permission and his resources. Folks, we have the king's permission and resources to do whatever he calls us to do. Whether it's personal or corporate. One of my favorite verses from Philippians. He who has begun a good work in you, plural, will continue it until the day of Christ. I like that. He told them what God had already done. You know what their response was? If God can do that and work in the heart of King Artaxerxes, then he can help us build this wall. So let's go do it. You see, Nehemiah wanted them to know that he wasn't there in Jerusalem because he was the great persuader or that the king was gracious. He was telling the leaders, I'm here because God has something for us to do. And he has provided all these provisions for us to do it. So don't you think he's going to complete that which he has already begun? Now, they could have reminded Nehemiah of what happened with Ezra. In chapter 4 of Ezra, actually, there was an official stopping of the building of the temple. So, you know, churches face three obstacles that are internal for us. Either we're content with the way things are, or we say we've never done it that way before. Or we can say, we tried it, and it failed, so let's don't do it. These people remember, they saw what happened when Ezra started to help build the temple, and they were stopped. So now someone else is coming from the king? Well, if it failed once, it probably won't succeed. 
you are neither content with the way things are, nor are you stuck in the way things have always been. Nor do you lack the faith that God can accomplish what he wants to do. You see, the big question for us is what to do and when to do it and how to do it. This is why we pray. And we keep our minds and hearts on the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he will supply the stuff. Those who opposed were disturbed. I love how he answered. The God of heaven will give us success. He didn't address the specific criticisms. He simply told those who were in opposition, God will grant success. Well, there is going to be spiritual opposition. We fight not against flesh and blood. You know, it's really a sign that we've angered the enemy and we're encroaching on areas that he thinks is his domain. We may be praying for a possible larger worship center in the future. But until then, there's short-term adjustments. And folks, you've already been making adjustments. You wonder, some of you are not in the choir. You may not wonder, or, or you may wonder, why, do they, why are they up here sometimes? And, and why are they out here? It's according to how many people are here. Is there, are there enough seats for everyone in the more comfortable chairs? But I will tell you this. Though those who come up here and sit may prefer to sit in these chairs, they have a heart to sit in these chairs if we will bring in more people and allow more people to come. That's adjusting. We're prayerfully looking at an overflow room. If we ever get it up and going, some of us have already volunteered. I will give up my seats here so that I can go over to building B so that I can help serve those in the overflowing. That is the kind of spirit of Christ that dwells in this place. And it's all for one reason, that God will get the glory so that those who want to come have room to be here. Now, we can fill up this place. We can fill up the overflow. And we've already filled up the parking, so where do we park? The county is not our enemy either when it comes to parking spaces. But are we willing, if we're physically able, to adjust to park longer distances away so that those who come late who want to be here are not turned away because they can't find parking. And those of our men who go out during the worship service, they see cars, find, try to find a place, and then they drive away.
And if God gives us an earlier second service, you know what our prayer is? Not how many people can we get to come to a, an early service, but that it will not have a negative impact on our fellowship, that it won't have a negative impact on our Sunday school, that it won't have a negative impact on our 1030 worship. That's what our prayer is. Why? Because that's what's important. The enemy will seek to divide us, but nothing pleases God more than the unity and the love of his people. For it is by the love that people see among us that they are drawn to Christ. Now, on a more personal note, you may have challenges that are not corporate or church-driven but they're personal in nature, and you're trying to handle them alone. My friend, Christ has given us the church, the body of Christ, a spiritual family to encourage us and support us when we're going through difficult times. You don't need to go through things alone. Our faith walk is personal, but it's not private. He gave us each other as a gift. You know, it's only through God's mercy that any of us are here anyway. Those who are Christ followers have been renewed and rebuilt by God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. His love has transformed us. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit energizes us, even though we live in a broken world and even though we live in ever-breaking bodies, He renews our spirit day by day. If it were not for Christ, we would all still be in our sin because we are helpless to do anything about it on our own. Perhaps if we take this, these lessons of Nehemiah and we make it in a very personal way, maybe some of us should be walking around the walls of our own lives that are crumbled and the gates of our lives that have been destroyed by fire. And maybe, just maybe, some of us need to assess our own personal life. If God wakes you up in the middle of the night, you can complain that you have insomnia or you can cry out to God when nobody else is crying out for you. Are the walls torn down? Are your gates burned? Do you feel like you're lying in ruin? When I say come to Christ who is the life giver, I'm not talking about a simple ritual prayer to try to get God to do something. I'm talking about you're finally willing to relinquish control of whatever is going on in your life. And you cry out to him as if he is your only help because, brothers and sisters, he is our only help. 
What vision do you have for your life? Do you really want to spend the rest of your life in brokenness? With the walls down, with the gates destroyed by fire. Do you really anticipate that's the way you're going to leave this earth? Or do you have a different vision? A vision where you're renewed and you're rebuilt because of God's grace and His mercy. Those are two different visions. And how you respond to the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross will have an impact on how you live out the rest of your life. He frees us from the power of sin that continues to wreak havoc in our lives. Would you say yes to Him and let Him be your vision? Let Him be the one to guide your life. Surrender to Him. Acknowledge that you are helpless to do anything about your sinful condition. Cry out to Him. And let Him rebuild your life. Would you stand? And would you sing with us, Be Thou Our Vision?